0: Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. It is the Monday after Selection Sunday, and Bruce, we know people aren't listening to The Audible to hear, our, to hear who we have winning the NCAA tournament, to hear our bracket pick. We also wanted to acknowledge that uh, it might be overshadowing college football a little bit this week.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a lot of crossover, and who better for us to dig into some big-picture stuff related to college athletics and basketball and how it fits in with the football world as well than our friend from the AP, Ralph Russo. Thanks for joining us again, Ralph.
2: Hello, gentlemen. How are you today? We are doing great. Stu, are you disappointed that you didn't get
1: a chance to have a real-time reaction to the women's tournament bracket?
0: (laughs) I, uh, I, I was all set. I had a viewing party set up, and then somebody at ESPN ruined it for me and leaked the bracket. I,
2: I will say this, that there are prob- there's probably paint being peeled off the walls up in uh, Bristol right now, though, with that mistake. <laughs> I imagine that there are some unfortunate graphics guys getting into a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, because they paid money to show that, and... Uh, I'm sure their advertisers pay with the expectation that there will be suspense to the announcement. So first, the men's bracket got leaked a few years ago online. This one, though, pretty unique, That the, the TV network that has the show. Can you imagine if CBS accidentally put the men's bracket on, like, during the second half of the Big Ten tournament?
1: Wasn't there a few years ago where the CFP uh, rankings came out, uh, were were put out there a little bit early? Hmm... I thought ESPN had had a little glitch in something that got fonted up maybe a couple hours before their show, if I'm not mistaken. Does
0: that sound familiar, Ralph?
2: That doesn't sound familiar. Maybe back in the BCS days? You're, you know, you're the maybe only going...
0: leak I remember is the year NIU made the Orange Bowl, and that was a surprise to most of us that they got ranked uh, high enough to qualify for that. Pete Thamel broke it a few hours before the show but I don't remember like a graphic.
2: Right. And I I remember that one too. NIU was, it wasn't like a shocker, but there was some, there was some uncertainty around whether NIU would get in that. And I think a lot, yeah, I think a lot of folks were poking away trying to figure out uh, from Orange Bowl folks who who got in. I, I do remember Pete getting it.
1: Hey Ralph, I wanted to ask you, this is something I brought up with Stu earlier and it's, You know, some of it, uh, certainly me and definitely Stu cover college basketball. I mean, I don't cover it at all. Stu really doesn't. He used to do some of the bracket stuff when he was at Fox. But, you know, now we're just casual fans. And you see, and and the, the scandal story that was not just, it was more than a college hoop scandal last week with the admissions stuff and Lori Loughlin and all this other thing. That obviously got people's attention. But all the FBI investigations into the corruption in in college basketball and middlemen involved in it and sneaker company that has been going on for like the last 18 months. You know, we heard plenty about how this was going to change the sport as we know it. And it was going to it felt like there wasn't going to be the same. It wasn't going to be the same as it was. And then. I saw the ratings for the CBS Reveal show yesterday, and it was like up for the first time in in five years. And the TV rankings for the season this year are quite a bit up. So, what do we to infer from some of this? Do people just not care about the scandal sliminess of, of breaking rules, as or are they just are they just in a different place these days?
2: Yeah, I think it relates to the idea of. Well, first of all, I think some of it has to do with the fact that basically college basketball has become a month or two month sport, which isn't great if you're a college basketball fan. It doesn't get a lot of attention. I mean, honestly, quite, quite frankly, that's why The Athletic started a college basketball site, right? Because it, it understood that there, there was fans out there that weren't getting uh, their fill of college basketball because from the mainstream media – And, you know, ESPN and places like that, it's basically become a two month sport. So, like, put that in part of the equation, and that simply the, the average fan is not really tuned into college basketball a lot of the year. Then add to the fact that, and this bleeds into football as well, because it's the other high profile sport. I just think, generally speaking, fans don't, I'll use your word, care or are not outraged by sort of run of the mill cheating and you could say well hey the FBI's involved here that's not really run of the mill cheating but ultimately if you look at what was going on it was money being funneled through from shoe companies through coaches to athletes or at, or or vice versa to you know recruits and you know while that might seem a little seamy because of the way it was going on the end result players and their families getting money, a lot of folks don't really have a problem with that anymore and kind of see it as, well, they should be getting money, right? Look at all the money. I mean, CBS has got an $8.8 billion contract to show the NCAA tournament. And look at all the money that's flowing in to the sport through the college football, to football through the college football playoff. There's so much money that a kid getting 40 grand, 50 grand. To a lot of fans, just seems like A, I know what was probably going on anyway. B, don't they deserve a little bit of it? So I think those are two major factors, uh, along with, I, I guess the other part is it's not affecting the games on the court much. Now, LSU fans are getting a taste of it, right? Because their coach is now suspended because of something that was reported he allegedly did on a wiretap, making, you know, possibly an offer or talking about giving an offer to a player. So when the stuff starts affecting players and coaches that I as a fan root for and that I see on the court, then I become a little more engaged. But as of right now, a lot of this drama has kind of taken stage in courtrooms and in filings. And we see some salacious details in testimony and in court filings. But ultimately, you know, players for the most part are still playing. Now, D'Souza at Kansas got sat down, and and my, Miami had to sit down a key player this year. But you know, Zion Williamson's still playing, and the, the the names that we know and the teams that we are most are most visible haven't been hurt real bad because of this. And I think if that starts happening. Maybe it becomes a bigger story and something that bothers fans more. But my guess is what you'll have is what LSU fans, LSU fans didn't necessarily say, oh, my gosh, there's cheating in my program. Let's get rid of this coach. They said, no, you can't prove it yet. So bring the coach back. We're having a great season. So <laughs> I don't think it'll nec- I don't think it'll necessarily turn fans off. I think it will make fans I think fans will notice it more and, uh, and react to it more once it affects their teams
0: I, I can't take credit for this It's says this is from mark titus who hosts the great uh, one shining podcast talking about that lsu will wade situation and how the fans have turned on the ad instead of the coach it's like anytime there's a scandal involving a school that a school's rival right that fan base will be like burn the place down you know oh my gosh i can't believe if you're an lsu fan right you were probably one of the first in line maybe behind alabama that Cam Newton should be suspended when all that stuff came out. But when it happens to your guys, it's, well, wait a minute, you don't have proof of that yet. (laughs) You know, hold on, hold on a second. But here's here's how I think how numb people have become to pay for play for all the reasons Ralph just said. Zion Williamson, we would agree, the biggest story in college basketball this year, probably in many, I, I feel like it's been probably since Kevin Durant maybe at Texas that a college basketball player got this much recognition. Yeah, uh, I'd go
2: even farther back than that. Yeah. Actually, I, and I actually, even in that, his own, that year, I think Odin got more uh, play than Durant. And I'd argue you might even have to go farther than that, like to Ewing or, or somebody along those lines.
0: Maybe Carmel. Well, Carmel didn't really get as much attention until the tournament. But, you know, whatever comparison you want to use, I think we all agree. Zion is the, the biggest deal to happen in college basketball in a long, long time. And I think people either didn't know this or completely forgot about it or don't care or all of the above. But in the uh, trial in October, right, the, where the um, right. Adidas guys were on trial. And this is, I found the the, the the tweet from Dan Wessel In a taped conversation that was not allowed into evidence today, Adidas, Merle Code, and Kansas assistant Curtis Townsend, who, by the way, has been suspended ever since this, discussed the recruitment of Zion Williamson, who wound up at Duke. And arguing for admission, a transcript was read by Code defense attorney where he says, hey... Between you and me, he, this is being Zion's dad, asked about some stuff. I know what he's asking for. He's asking for opportunities from an occupational perspective. He's asking for cash in the pocket, and he's asking for housing for him and his family. To which Curtis Townsend said, i got to just try to work and figure out a way, because if that's what it takes to get him for 10 months, we're going to have to do it some way. So that sounds like the exact thing that uh, Cecil Newton was accused of, Mm -hmm. and nobody cares. (laughs) Zion is Zion, and... I think people would be furious if there was any attempt to shut him down for anything having to do with what his dad may or may not have asked for two years ago.
2: Well, but it also speaks to the glacial nature of this scandal, too, right? I mean, some of the stuff that's going on in court. The NCAA hasn't been able to just dive right in. First of all, the NCAA moves slowly, doesn't have the resources that the FBI has and and doesn't have subpoena power and things along those lines. So right off the bat, we still haven't figured out exactly the, the relationship, the direct correlation between the FBI evidence and investigation and what the NCAA will and can do with it. In other words, I, and I've even asked this question and have not gotten a straight answer yet. Can the FBI, can the NCAA simply take what went on in court, what what the FBI has, sort of court documents and and even things that maybe weren't submitted to evidence like that, and just use it as fact? In other words, is that just now established fact? So without getting too deep down that rabbit hole, the NCAA is just starting to wade into the waters here of what the what resulted in those cases. So by the time the NCAA starts getting deep into the weeds and starts suspending people and handing out penalties for, I mean, Zion will be three years into the NBA if they ever get around to that, right? I mean, or at least two years, which is another reason why I don't think people care, because there doesn't seem to be anything imminent now, that could change. And again, Kansas had a player suspended this year who anticipated to be a good player. But, you know, Kansas is still in the tournament, and it's not like there was a Zion-level player. So just the the impact on the sport for what we watch is just not there. And. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I guess it would be different if there was a real legitimate, like, cloud hanging over Zion the way it was over Cam. Like, from Cam, it was kind of a week-to-week thing of, is this guy going to be able to play? Because we knew the NCAA was involved there. I don't think the NCAA has even, like, taken a, taken a step into the Duke, alleg- or, or to whatever that means to Duke and and, and Zion. So, this thing is just moving at a pace where by the time everything is sorted out, we'll be so far, we'll be years down the road.
1: Ralph, I said the stew, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. And again, I'm of the three of us, I'm the furthest removed from covering college hoops. I still watch it somewhat, but not to the level I did before, and I definitely don't cover it. But just as an observer of this, I think unless this were to become, and I'm not saying this is where it's headed, but piggybacking off what you just said. Unless it becomes a Duke basketball scandal, I don't think this is going to cause a huge ripple or a huge wave of concern because of the nature of the sport. We've seen Syracuse and Jim Boeheim impacted by scandal. We've seen UConn and Jim Calhoun. And these are are big, big big-time coaches who won championships. And the sport goes on. I mean, it's not the level of college football, but it doesn't get derailed. I would, you know, Stu brought up to me earlier, he was like, well, Arizona's in hot water, obviously LSU, but it's LSU basketball, not LSU football. As good as Arizona is as a Pac-12 brand, I think it's relative. Even Kansas with Bill Self, I don't think, I feel like for the landscape to be dramatically altered, it would have to be a Duke-Mike Krzyzewski thing for people to go, whoa, that's a big deal. Whereas... You know, Rick Patino has come and gone. The sport still is kind of where it is. I don't think it changes unless it's—to me, it's—unless it's it's, unless it's a Duke scandal, I'm not sure it, it's going to have the pop that—maybe to get people's attention beyond just the complete, complete diehards of their sport or of their team.
0: Well, Ralph, yeah. just to give you the full context sure. here. So the, so the thesis he that—I mean, it came out because Bruce said, you know, for all this FBI stuff and— and by the way, our colleagues at Yahoo have done just a phenomenal job on reporting it. Um, and I think, you know, there's been a, we've noticed that the reaction maybe hasn't been as alarming, I guess you would say, as maybe you would have expected for these kind of stories five, 10 years ago. But anyway, for all the, the attention placed on it, you know, Bruce, and he's right, he's like, doesn't seem like it's affecting March Madness, interest in March Madness in the slightest. And I said, yeah, but what if, you know, two, three years from now, like all in the same year, Kansas, Arizona, LSU like all these schools are on probation at the same time and he said I don't think it would matter unless it was Duke
2: yeah and I think to a certain degree Bruce is probably probably right there though I listen I mean brands still matter in college basketball just like they do in college football and I think if you did pick off Louisville Kansas you know you're right I mean Duke is a completely different level but if you knocked off Louisville Kansas and a couple of other relative blue blue bloods it would be I, I think it would be a problem. Here's the thing. I, I think there are two tracks here. I think there is, I do think it might have been a little overwrought folks who have said, this is going to change the sport forever, right? And bring down college basketball. College basketball is bigger than individual players and programs. And we all love our brackets. And and I, so I don't think that is really going to happen. I, I do think when some people say that, it's people who have an understanding and a knowledge and something that, you know, because I don't cover college basketball that deeply and, and neither of us do. But if you talk to folks like Pete Thamel and Pat Pat Forty at Yahoo, who have been very much embedded in the culture of college basketball at times in their careers and still are, what they see is a change in the way sort of, again, the culture of college basketball. So people who cover it day to day might see some things as changing dramatically the summer leagues are going to change, right? All the things the NCAA and the Rice Commission recommended all these things. So there there might be some sweeping changes to college basketball, the way contracts are structured between shoe companies and schools and coaches and agents being allowed some uh, interaction with athletes. Those things are going to change, again, the, the composition and the culture of college basketball. But again, to the fan who basically has their bracket and for for the most fans who, who engage in the sport the way they do now, which is I'm in and out during the season, you know, during some of the big games, but I really ramp it up on, in February. We're getting ready for March Madness. Like, I don't think most fans are going to really notice that stuff. So it doesn't necessarily drive me away if I show up in February and games are being played – and I see Duke and North Carolina, Michigan and Michigan State. Like, I hardly even know who's in the uniforms. But like, when I say me, I mean, you know, the average fan. But I just see these teams playing and think, oh, big basketball game. Got to start, you know, boning up to fill out my bracket. So there are, again, a couple of different things going on there. I think the changes are foundational. And will probably only be noticed by people who are really embedded in the game. And I I think that as far as the fan interest, yes, I think big brands getting dinged will be, will make it, will hurt college, could hurt college basketball. But ultimately, I I just, I, I go back to what I said earlier. I just don't know if fans really care that much about cheating to the extent where they would abandon the sport completely. Maybe it, it it takes away from a certain tournament because Duke because North Carolina is not in it or Kansas is not in it, so that like you know gives it a little knock as knockback as far as brand interest. But I I still think people are going to show up and 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 fill out their brackets. It almost
0: is as it, it it in some ways, and this is how we'll start to get to football. The lack of popularity for college basketball year round kind of makes it more resistant once you get to March because. The overwhelming majority of people who are filling out brackets out there, whether it's uh, sports junkies in Vegas or just random people who don't watch college basketball game all year and then fill out a bracket, they're not paying close enough attention to it the other 11 months of the year to care about whether players are getting, families are getting money or uh, this assistant coach got sent to jail or whatnot. So that leads us to football. Football, obviously, much more popular year-round. And so the question Bruce and I were throwing around what would be the equivalent here? What what scandal would have to f- hit a wide swath of schools in college football to actually affect college football?
2: Wow! And again, you know, I, I I keep going back to this idea that, you know, as long as the games are being played, we got a very high level for scandal in this country because we yeah. just love our games, right? It's like I baseball, mean, right? That you get hit over the head with steroids
0: for all those years, and and people are like, so.
2: I mean, my God, look at the NFL and all the things that have no matter which side of the Kaepernick thing you stand on. Right. The NFL is still getting huge TV ratings. It has mishandled and bumbled all kinds of things involving domestic violence and concussions. I mean, look at all the things that the NFL has screwed up royally that could have been devastating scandals, and it's just merrily rolling along. We, we love sports in this culture, so I'm not really sure there's anything that could, quote-unquote, bring down college football. I, I, you know, what I do find interesting is college football does seem to be somewhat immune to this type of scandal because the, and I think we've talked about this on another podcast I was on with you guys, I, I think the nature of shoe companies Getting involved with agents on 16-year-olds just doesn't really work in college football, right? If I'm if I'm Adidas, I'm not really going to invest in a 16-year-old football player because that kid is six years away, probably, from being in the NFL, and I'm not sure what he's going to be when he gets there. So the idea of investing in high school kids doesn't really work. So if you sort of eliminate that, now that doesn't say that there's not money being exchanged from high school football player from you know in the recruiting process with high school football players but I can't imagine this level of engagement. I do wonder if you could find some type of scandal, you know, I'll, I'll give you this. The the old what you always heard when I worked down south is you got to go to the churches. You got to go to the churches. That's how they get the money to the kids. You go to church and and you got boosters who are at church and they 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 schmoozed up with the parents and they funneled the money through the church. Now, none of this has ever been proven, but that's the sort of wives tale that runs through. So let's play that out as if there and there really was some kind of massive scandal with some like local churches funneling money to kids, especially, let's say, you know, it's a little stereotypical, but let's say in down south, you know, that would be pretty damning if you had something along those lines, if you could link churches and, you know, illegal payments to college football players. Now, again, I'm being a little uh, I'm thinking a little landish here. But like, if you want to think of a scandal that could really rock college football, I I almost think you'd have to go someplace along those lines. And again, it would have to involve probably, you know, Alabama or big SEC schools or Ohio State or thing, things along those lines, because even if it was, you know, small little bits of cash going to, you know, a Vanderbilt player, well, being I Van, that's a bad example, an Arkansas player, like on a very small scale, I think it gets shrugged off.
1: Using the NCAA tournament model, Ralph, I think what makes the what makes the tournament really resonate for a lot of people is whether it was Loyola before, or it would have to be some you know some version of like Wofford or somebody who most people do not know where either the school is or whatever, but then they go on this this kind of magical two weekend ride or or three day three game ride, and all of a sudden everybody gets excited about them. How realistic is there that, you know, you're not going to have, even if the playoff eventually expands, it's not expanding to 16. So we don't seem to have the chance for that. But is it just that much harder to get the upsets because one guy can, can dictate so much more in college basketball than he can in college football?
2: Yeah, it's kind of disappointing that we don't have a little bit more love for the Cinderella team. I mean, and I'm sure UCF fans... You know, if any of you are listening to this right now, we're ready to jump through the. But their, they were. I
1: mean, and, but it was almost like they became a polarizing figure where and I guess some of it may have been how some of Danny White's comments, to the A.D. there. But I feel like in college and maybe you can explain this better. Maybe Stu can in college ba- basketball, people want the Cinderella, want to love Cinderella in college football. Like I remember Stu and I had this conversation where he would get some really nasty responses not just from from some fans of schools but from some media from some schools when you'd write about boise state or talk about them in any way that was fa- favorable and so it just seems like this culture doesn't want to tolerate cinderella i have an answer for that college hoops
0: i, I yeah. i've spent a lot of well, time you jump in and i'll give mine then. i've spent a lot of time thinking about this okay well first of all i've always said that the ncaa tournament is really two different events it's the first weekend, or maybe even the first two weekends, and then where it's all about Cinderella. Like, it's great. We want to see, you know, we want to see who's a good example this year. New Mexico State goes on a run to the Sweet 16, or I guess Belmont is a team everybody's jumping on the bandwagon of, right? That's what kind of people associate the first part of the tournament with. Once it gets to the final four, that's about determining the national champion. And I feel like once it gets to the final four, it's like people didn't tune into the final four last year to see Loyola. They tuned in to see. Who's going to win the national championship so in football we don't have that we just have the four and when you start talking about boise state like they might go to the fiesta bowl and beat oklahoma yeah people are on board with that but it's where you start to see the resistance and generally from the sec is when people start saying well what if this team could possibly play for the national championship oh who have they played what they'd be eight and four in the sec you know what i mean like they're okay at a distance if you just keep them at a little bit of a distance But if they're threatening to actually take a spot from a real playoff contender, that's when people go it seem to revolt on the Cinderella.
2: Couldn't agree with you more. It's it comes down to a matter of slots. And in college football, you've had two or four slots. So the idea of sort of getting that Cinderella team or or giving that team a chance, because with the listen, with the with the basketball tournament, we do. We root. I, I I do especially root for more Belmonts and more UNC Greensboro's and Furmans because they're taking the place of an oak. Well, nominally they would be taking the place of an Oklahoma team that lost eleven Big Twelve games, right? Like so, or or a St. John's team that looked like crap down the stra- stretch in the Big East. So. Yeah. Like last yesterday, when I'm watching the brackets get revealed, you know, I want to see more of those teams because you're right. The first weekend, they provide a lot more flavor. And with only two or four spots at that point, you kind of really just want the very best teams. And I understand the pushback against not having them. I do think if we went to eight and you started putting in at least one group of five team it would be really hard the problem is more often than not that group of five team would be the eighth seed playing in a the the number one seed and often in college football it's just again it's just hard to spring these massive upsets right it's just you know UCF as good as they were two years ago you know, probably not beating Alabama or Georgia of course now I said that and well and I will hear from UCF fans saying that but we beat Auburn and those teams. but regardless like in a normal year you're not going to get too much of that I do think if you if you went to a and you guaranteed a group of 5 spot and that group of 5 team could avoid the one seed or maybe the one seed is an overseed you might get it and I do think people would enjoy it because I think once you got to eight teams, the idea of of throwing a bone to an underdog and then having that underdog prove it on the field, I think people would be into that. And I think it would provide a certain value to an expanded tournament, an expanded tournament in football. I also do think it'd be pretty rare just because of the nature of football and the distance between the very elite, I mean, if you think about it, what you're asking for is a one sixteen kind of upset every year.
1: I don't think it's I, right. I don't think it's it's the distance between a one and a sixteen. and yeah, that's probably house.
2: an overplay. That's fair. That's probably an overplay on my part.
0: I actually have thought if it happened, and like you said, Ralph, usually the eight seed, the group of five team would just kind of automatically get the eight seed. if it would end up becoming a thing where it's unfair to the one seed because let's be honest, we don't know where to rank UCF. We don't know where to, you know, they play so few common opponents. I think some years that that group of five team would be a legit threat to the Alabamas and Clemsons. And some years they would be uh, like that Western Michigan team a few years ago, like cute story. But that Western Michigan team that went undefeated was not on the level of UCF the last two years. I think we would agree with that, right? So, right. so, so because yeah. we don't know where to seed them, Mm-hmm. The number one seed might be particularly susceptible to a team that's you know probably underranked in some cases and then it becomes a disadvantage to be the one seed
2: right because conceivably really ucF two years ago should have been the the sixth seed or the fifth seed playing the four right. and actually have a legit chance to to beat that other team across from it so yeah I could see a little bit of that but it's just it's such a different dynamic I do I am with you, Bruce, on this. It It is an odd dynamic that even though it's less slots and people are more protective of their slots, I, I do find it weird that more people don't sort of get on board with the underdog in general and, and wanting to see it. I guess that's the thing with me. like What I always get back to with these, whether it's Boise or UCF or whatever the upstart is, is just the idea, like, I kind of want to see it. I want to see these teams play, get their crack at the big boys because we don't get a lot of games in college football, and I want to see if I should take them as seriously or not, right? I mean, I would have loved to have seen Mackenzie Milton and UCF play LSU last year. That would have been a really intriguing game, though that gets to another topic for another day, which is – now that these bowl games are, you know, players are bailing left and right, will we ever see, will we ever really get a, a good idea of what these group of five teams are when the bowl games are not, with, are not a playoff game?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think one thing that, that kind of jumps out at me a little bit is, you know, you mentioned Boise State. I mean, Sue and I remember both were in the building when Boise State played a really good Oregon team. And it was Chip Kelly's first game as a head coach, and they, even though it was like a ten point, I think it was nineteen to eight game, they dominated that game thoroughly. I think with football, and and I'm not saying the first game of the season is like the first because you have that long gap, you know. Whereas here, college basketball teams, they're gonna have their tournament, and then maybe they have eight days off, maybe they have three days off before they play. Whereas that first weekend, you might have had a month off before you play and i think there's more of a chance for the upset of the 8-1 i think the risk of those i don't want to call them undermanned teams but the the cinderella teams is to be physical enough to withstand okay now you got to take on some heavyweight you know team that seems to be more resourced and more physical at least deeper and then you have to play back to back games against somebody like that as opposed to just you know the puncher's chance in the first time out.
2: Here's the thing. There might not be a great desire and rally around it now because it doesn't exist. But let's just play that scenario out. If you had as, as much as UCF fans have managed to alienate themselves and not necessarily be the lovable underdogs. The fact of the matter is, if UCF or Temple or whoever, Boise State played Alabama, everybody who is not an Alabama fan would be rooting for Boise State. Right. Because that's Mm -hmm. just the nature. And that and that just goes for whether it's Duke in the tournament. Everybody's going to be rooting against Duke, who's not a Duke fan, no matter who's lining up against Duke. Right. So that's just the nature of the way we watch sports. So if the system allowed it, we would be into it. I think, you know, I think we as fans would be into it and fans would jump on that underdog bandwagon and want to see Cinderella. But it just doesn't exist in the format we have. And to get them in there means bumping somebody else so everybody's getting protective. Again, there's this constant, like, who have you played in college football? So there's a lot going on. But I do think if it was available and we had a chance to see it, I, I think people would be into it. Well, Ralph, we wish you luck this week. I know
0: your main beat, like us, is football. But you've got to, you know, for two weeks of the year at least, put your basketball cap on. You are at the Big East tournament. You are at the A-10 tournament and this week will be in Hartford. You got any uh, quick uh, tips for us from the teams you've seen or will be seeing in Hartford?
2: Yeah, you know, I got to see the Big East last week, and I'm going to see Villanova and Marquette in Hartford, so that's kind of cool. I, actually, I don't think Villanova is nearly as good. I mean, obvious they're not nearly as good, but I think a lot of people might jump on Villanova as like a, ooh, that could be an interesting six seed. They are really not anywhere as good as they've been the last couple of years. I'm looking forward to see Jay Morant or John Morant, I should say, uh, for Murray State. And beyond that, you know, I'm going to be at the Final Four too. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. I haven't really quite made my picks, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing some hoops. I will say this. The last word for me is I am probably the only person in the country right now who is missing spring football? Like, as far as like, I kind of miss it. I like, you know, I, you know, I'm gonna go most of this month without being around football, and gosh, I feel like I'm really neglecting it. And I kind of really would like to be out at a practice, but it's just not gonna really work out. So I'll pick up again in April. But uh, I, let just put it this way: football still owns my heart.
1: All right, Ralph. Well, we appreciate you taking the time, and hopefully, we'll catch you once it's football season.
0: Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ralph back to the podcast in a second but first a word about a very special sponsor Bruce how are you loving Robinhood so far
1: I can't complain at all Stu it's been a great addition to the podcast and I think it's certainly probably been a pleasant surprise for you as a uh, as a good product right
0: Indeed Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks ETFs options and cryptos all commission free while other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can invest at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. So here is what they want you to do. Robinhood is giving listeners of The Audible a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at audible.robinhood.com. Bruce, this is the part of the podcast where I usually read a bunch of mailbag emails, but um, I think we're going to do a unique thing this week and just focus on one.
1: All right. Care to share which direction we're going in?
0: Yeah, it's going to be a fun little exercise here. It's from Gregory Moldovan. It's funny because this has to do with the pronunciation, and yet he didn't tell us how to pronounce his name. Anyway, (laughs) here's Stone Bruce. Bruce pronounced Butchercrest right last week. Congratulations,
1: Bruce. I'm pretty pleased with myself, the guy who has probably the least world history knowledge of anyone in college football. but media. now I'm That's not
0: sure if right. I got it right. was it what did you say? Butcher crest or Butcher Crest?
1: I don't know, Stu. I don't remember. I do know this at one point on the podcast when you were talking, I found one of those little pronunciation things where you would to hear somebody say it, but I couldn't I was like kind of dormied because I couldn't play it because I thought it would come up on the podcast.
0: I recently found out from a listener that I had been mispronouncing pronunciation for all my life. I kept saying pronunciation. It's pronunciation.
1: (laughs) Well, you made it this far, Stu. You're raising uh, a child.
0: My head's going to explode from from this this rabbit hole we've gone down. Anyway, he asked, would you all play over-under for a few top schools on next week's episode? He calls himself Romanian Texan. That's an interesting combination.
1: Okay, so look, so we have this list that is from BetOnline.ag. Jimmy Shapiro, who's the PR person for that, produces uh, provides a lot of the media with some of these, and some of these are interesting and whatnot. We are not encouraging to run off to a casino and and plunk down this, but I think it's a good, interesting way to kind of tease the upcoming season. So,
0: and you and I have both already written stories for the Athletic. Well, yours was more you wrote an entire story about win totals i just answered a mailbag question about it but it makes for good content
1: okay by the way um i noticed that Stu took issue with with one of mine and we're going to start there so the over under and by the way we should say that this is regular season wins it's not including playoff games or conference tournament games so it's basically 12 game season
0: quick question uh, overrun quick question yes so when it's a number like eight and a half, that's pretty obvious. you got to either take the over or the under. But when they say an even number, like a team's over-under is 10, what if you think that team is going to win 10? I don't touch it, then. You say don't touch it. Okay. So is that what we're so going to do? So in that case, there we're was a go-
1: handful of these that I looked at, and I was like, ooh, that's when I once I looked at their schedule, I'm like, you know what, I'm not touching that.
0: So we're going to go so- through these real quick and say either over-under or don't touch it.
1: Yes. So I'm going to start out by saying the first one is, is Alabama number 11. And I am saying I would take that over. And that's in light of a big staff shakeup that we've talked about before in Tuscaloosa. But when you look at the Alabama schedule in 2018, it looks even softer than it did in, in, in 2019. It looks even softer than it did last year. Right. So they open with Duke. Duke just went three and five in the ACC, and they lost their best player, quarterback Daniel Jones, to the NFL. The rest of the non-conference schedule is is really really cushy: Southern Miss, New Mexico State, and FCS West, Western Carolina. There's nobody there that's touching Alabama. Then after that, you have really what I think is you know a challenging road trip to Texas A&M, but they have a week off before that game, and I I, I don't think that A&M has enough. At that point, to to uh, scare Alabama, LSU will be the most talented team. I think they play in 2019, but that game is in Tuscaloosa, and remember, Alabama won that game handily last year, 29 to nothing. So, unless Joe Brady has made a dramatic difference in the LSU offense, I like Alabama's chances there. And then the other two tough road games that they have to go to in conference. All right, Mississippi State and Auburn, and both of those teams are replacing multi-year starters. So Stu, since you crapped all over my, my uh, story there, tell me who you think is gonna beat Alabama in the regular season.
0: The reason I crapped all over it is, the only way you're gonna win that over, right, is if they go undefeated in the regular season, which is not easy to do. It's undefeated do they, in not, the they,
1: just, they Didn't they just do that this past year?
0: How many of Nick Saban's five national championship teams there were undefeated? One, uh, the very first okay. one. It's hard to go undefeated in college that's, football.
1: But Stu, that's not what that's not what this is about. You just said how many were undefeated. They just went undefeated in the regular season. They would have won this bet
0: last year. They would have won this bet. That's correct. I, I can't put, point to a specific game on here and say that's this is the team that's going to beat Alabama because you never know. I mean, the years. And let's see, 2014 and 15, did you look at their schedule before the year and say, I think Ole Miss is going to beat Alabama?
1: One of those years, Al, uh, I went to one of those uh, Ole Miss-Alabama games, and Ole Miss was, was as good as Alabama that year on the field. It wasn't like anything fluky about it.
0: Right, but it's not like you could see that coming in
1: March. I mean, th- those Ole Miss teams were really talented, though. I'm just saying, and one of those games was in Oxford. I just don't think the schedule breaks that way. If you put... This LSU-Alabama game in Baton Rouge, I might think I, I would give them a better chance to win that game. I just don't think, when you look, and again, it, it's, it could happen, they're upsets, but I don't think that anybody on that regular season schedule will be less than a 12-point underdog.
0: Oh, I think that's probably true. I don't know. I know what you, want, what you want to hear from me. All I'm saying is, if are you asking me to go put money on Alabama to go 12-0? I'm going to say no, because... One bad call, you one think, fumble okay. in the end zone—like anything could cause them to lose one game. Or
1: they Who could go nine. And, be- this could
0: be the year they finally go nine and three. I don't know.
1: Who do you think has the best chance of that group to knock off Alabama this year? Uh,
0: I would probably say A and M, although they haven't necessarily had the greatest home field advantage over the years at Kyle Field. But still, Kellen Mond and those receivers—they're all back. They could cause some of the problems that uh, they did to Clemson last year in the bowl game I mean not the bowl in the last game against LSU and obviously Alabama's secondary was exposed a little bit in the playoffs so
1: just all right, you know, six months ahead of Stu time that would seem a the huge best huge upset call, Stu calling a huge upset here we are in the middle of March I'm not Jim calling Milder any sure upsets you said event, most right? likely come on Stu go all the way out on the list.
0: plus they're at Auburn right I mean once every 3 or 4 years Auburn beats them
1: Speaking of I like Auburn. your pick I, I like your pick on A&M to knock up Alabama, it's bold. So.
0: I'm sure this is going to be okay. uh,
1: aggregated somewhere. <laughs> I'm trying, man. If, uh, uh, sorry.
0: So speaking of Auburn, their over-under is 8, and I think I know where you lean on that.
1: Yeah, this one, I don't think they get to that. So here's what I – look, we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. Maybe it's Bo, Bo Nicks. I don't know. The offensive line has a lot of guys back, but they were really bad last year. They do have a good defensive line. Derek Brown will be an All-American. But linebackers will be all new. The Secondary needs to replace some guys. And just when I look at who they play – they got to go to the aforementioned Texas A&M Aggies. They got to go to Florida. I think Florida is a top ten ish team. I think LSU is definitely a top ten team. They got to go to Baton Rouge. So those are those are three trips that Auburn's got to make. Plus, they got home games against Georgia and Alabama. When you put them in, plus and the opener the with
0: opener against Oregon, Oregon.
1: Yeah. yeah, in Arlington, I think that's six games against teams that'll be in the top fifteen. So I'm plus Auburn, the under. Is, yeah. So you're with me on that one.
0: Yeah, I. I I know that Auburn swings wildly from one season to the next and, and either underperforms or overperforms. But like you just said, when you look at a schedule that has Oregon, at a and at Florida, at LSU, Georgia, and Alabama, and say to win this bet they've got to win nine, no. I, I Better chance they only win seven or six.
1: Yeah, and I think if they get off to a shaky start with already, I don't know if you want to call it a seat buzzards kind of swirling, but that could, that could get South in a hurry there, especially when you don't have an experienced starting quarterback back. I don't, know, I don't know what they hang their hat on there beyond a really, really good defensive line. Okay, next. The Boise State Broncos, with at the over-unders number is 10. I am steering clear of this.
0: Yeah, I, I hate to pull a cop out, but I just, I'm just not familiar enough with Boise State's returning roster to put any money one way or the other.
1: Well, we know Brett Ripon is gone. We know that their starting tailback is gone. Andy Avalos, who did a really good job as defense coordinator, he's gone. When I looked at their schedule, though, it wasn't a lot of stuff that gave me a ton of pause. Meaning, they open with Florida State. I don't. They should win Florida that. State. I think they should win that. I don't think Florida State is going to be significantly better than they were last year. I think they'll probably be a fringe bowl team. But then they have Marshall Presbyterian. Uh, they have to go to BYU. I could see them struggling against BYU. I could see them struggling at Utah State just because, you know, if Jordan Love is is there, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I know it's a new system, but I think he's really good. So I don't look at this and see three sh- for sure rough games, but I also don't look at it with a new quarterback, new running back. I don't look at it as, oh, this team is going to be a top 15 team either.
0: I will say they don't, they do not get either – fresno state or san diego state so you're really talking about florida state in the opener and at byu and at utah state and everything else is pretty darn clear that they should win so i'm still not willing to go over which would mean 11 ucf 10
1: i'm going under there still me too uh okay so here's my rationale We're off the josh heupel uh... bandwagon yeah. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm not sure if I was I, I was ever on the Josh Heupel bandwagon there as a head coach. I think Mackenzie Milton, he walked into a very good situation, and we'll see how it's going to play out. They finally got beat at the end of last year by an LSU team. They didn't have Mackenzie Milton, but LSU had about half a defense there. So I don't know. When I look, I don't think Grant Brandon Wimbush, he has some accuracy issues. I'm not sure he wins the job over, over Daryl Mack. assuming that Mackenzie Milton doesn't make a big, big comeback. I think their offense will still be good, but the defense was really suspect last year, and they lost a bunch of guys on the D-line. I think they take a step back. When I looked at their schedule, they have some teams that I think can give them some challenges. They play your Stanford team who's physical, and I think that's a tough game. They have FAU and Pitt, which I could think will be tougher this year than last year without Mackenzie Milton. They have to go... uh,
0: At Cincinnati, who won 10
1: games last year. At Cincinnati and at Temple. Those are pretty tough games. And then they throw in UCF, Houston, and Tulane. I can see at least three wins there, three That's losses. Dana
0: Holgerson bringing Houston to Orlando there on November 2nd, so under. Uh, okay, you, just like Alabama, you let, you're you ready to go. Clemson uh, over 11.
1: I am. You know, when I looked at this, Stu, again, this goes back to, I think the ACC is really mediocre outside of Clemson, right? So I know they got to replace a bunch of guys in the D-line, but I don't see sophomore for Trevor Lawrence. Everything I've heard is that the young receivers they got, they brought in one freshman who— They think is every bit as good, as as talented as anybody they already got. So I think they're going to run right through the ACC. If you look at their road schedule, it's pretty easy. I mean, they got to go to South Carolina, but Clemson's whooped them the last couple of years. They got to go to Syracuse, but there's no Eric Dungy there. I just don't see them getting tested. I think you took issue with this, but point to me the game that you think gives them the most trouble.
0: Again, it's the same thing with Alabama. I don't see a specific game. I mean— I guess it's the same one as Alabama. They do have Texas A&M coming there in the non-conference season. But again, Trevor Lawrence sprains his thumb one week. Or uh, I think one thing people are taking for granted with Clemson is that they're going to just be able to reload on the defensive line after losing that very special group. So I just don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they're going to lose one game, at which point you would lose that bet.
1: Yeah, I like my chances uh, of them not stumbling against this group, at least in the regular season, but... That's what that's why it's called gambling. It uh, is indeed Florida. Florida, the over under is nine. What say you?
0: Yeah, that's a tough one because I feel like that's right at where I said mm-hmm. it. But I'm, I'm a Dan Mullen believer. While Georgia still reigns supreme in that division, I don't think Tennessee is going to be back yet. Uh, Missouri or anybody else, you know. I guess Kentucky will still be there, but. Uh, i'll I'll go over,
1: okay. I didn't want to touch this one just because I looked, and I think nine's about right. As you mentioned, I think Georgia's more talented than them. Uh, I think Georgia will win that game. And then there's like three or four games I'm not sold on. I think they can beat Miami and Orlando. I think they're 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 better right now than Miami. They gotta to go to LSU. I think LSU will beat them there. so if you if they lose LSU and Georgia, then all of a sudden it's like they have to win every other game. and I mean, if you if you said which would you rather have the over or the under, you have to take one. I would take the over, but I don't know. I look, you know, they got to go to Mizzou. Eh, I'm not sure I'd worry about well, that. They to South at Kentucky,
0: Carolina. and Kentucky finally ended
1: that three-decade. They did, uh, but Kentucky Kentucky sent eight, sent eight guys to the combine, including their best offensive and defensive players. I think they take a little step back, but again, that's that game. You know, it's like I look at that. They got to go to South Carolina. They got to go to Mizzou. Those are three pretty good teams that would have a shot at them. I don't know they're going to go 3 and 0 on that if I so that's why I'm like not sold that it's an over, but I wouldn't t- I wouldn't look at under on them either. Okay. Georgia t- Georgia 10 and a half.
0: Yeah, over. They will not lose more than one game.
1: Okay, I'm with you on that. Same thing. You know, the offensive line should be really good. Still got a really good kicker. I don't I mean, when I look at them I Okay, Florida, I think they're better than them because they got to replace, you know, UF has to replace four starting O-linemen, and Auburn's on the road. But I, I again, I, I, I like them. So you, you think the difference is you give them one stumble. Do you think they run the table in the regular season, or do you think they go 11-1? and one?
0: I, You know, i th- I got to say 11-1 and one just because each of the last two years, they've had one, you know, that's been what they've Conker. done so far. They've yeah. one just, like, stinker of a game. So I'm not ready to say undefeated. Okay, this is where my amateurish gambling expertise is gonna come in. I don't understand this LSU scenario. Can you explain it to me?
1: I don't know if I can either. So there's an over of nine and an under of seven. Unless they're predicting some kind of weather, do- weather <laughs> issue game that gets postponed, somebody else will, I'm sure, they write in and explain Yeah, it somebody's to us.
0: listening to us right now going, You guys are a bunch of morons. But basically, it's an over of nine. And the odds are minus 120, under of seven, and its odds are even. So eight is apparently Tell me not how on many games table. you
1: think LSU will win this year.
0: Let me uh, look that one up. By the way, what site is your go-to schedule site?
1: Uh, I would say my former employer, but that doesn't narrow it down, does it? <laughs> I would say I would say ESPN is my go-to because I'm just very familiar with their team clubhouses. What is your go-to site?
0: I was using fbschedules.com but I couldn't scroll far enough down to get them. Okay.
1: you know, you know, For this story, by the way, you know what I did do is I would go to the team's official sites just because what ESPN doesn't do and what almost no other site does other than the team official sites is tell me the game is played if it's a neutral site. Mm. There's been plenty of times where I've used the ESPN schedules and somebody's pointed out, yeah, but that game is a neutral site game. and It's here or whatever, and it's just like it's moving too fast. So I, if I can, I usually try it. They're the official sites.
0: FBSschedules.com is good because not only do you get this year's schedule, but they have all their future schedules listed. So interesting early season game for LSU this year at Texas. Sneaky game, Utah State coming to town on October 5th. And then you've got the usual crossover game with Florida. I got to say, I think I'm going to say that I'm staying away from this one (laughs) because I think my sweet spot is, is right in that 8-9 range.
1: Okay. I think they can, yeah, they can get 10 wins this year with what they have coming back. I look at it, I think Texas will be a toss-up game, and I think they will have more than their hands full at Alamo, but after that, I think they're more talented than everybody else they will play.
0: I know it doesn't always, so, you know, when you say this team should be better this year, that doesn't necessarily always translate to a better record, but I think we would agree that they almost seemed a little bit ahead of schedule last year to end up ten and three. That we actually think they should be more talented across the board this year.
1: Yeah, my my feeling on them last year, and I think I said this a few different places, was I thought they were a year away last year, and they obviously had a ten win season. I think it was their best year in seven or eight years. But I think when you look at it, so this is year two in the system, you know, for Joe Burrow, who ended up finishing the year the last month playing really well. All those receivers are back. They have. The best recruiting class of running backs coming in—that was a question mark. The O line wasn't great last year, but everybody is, by and large, except for one guy, is back. And I think that they're gonna. The guy they'll miss most to me is is Devin White in the middle of the defense because he ran a lot of stuff down. But they have a ton of guys back, and I think people forget that the guy who might have been their best player last spring basically missed the whole season last year. Caleb Chasson. he was a they think he's a great edge rusher missed the season with a knee injury he's kind of what they didn't have last year so I think they'll be really good I don't know if they'll be good enough to overtake Alabama the way they've played the last couple of years I I wouldn't go that far but I think they can win 10 games all right Stu since I've been long-winded I'm going to demand that you go rapid fire and I will try to react react what you say Miami Hurricanes eight and a half over under under why
0: because uh, I think eight and four would, sounds about right for them.
1: Okay. I don't think they're good enough on offense at this point. And Manny Diaz first year, I think that sounds about right for me as well.
0: Uh, uh, Michigan mm-hmm. Wolverines, o- over or under nine and a half.
1: Well, I know you hate all things hardball this offseason. I think this one also sounds about right. But I will, I will say if I had to go in one direction, I would give them ten wins.
0: And just to confirm my Michigan hater status, I guess, I'm going to go... I am gonna. I think I'm leaning towards staying away from it if I had real money to play, but if I had to pick one, I'd say the under.
1: Why Why would you go in that direction?
0: Well, their defense lost a lot. Uh, you know, they got... I don't want to say they got exposed a little bit at the end. Obviously, the Ohio State game was embarrassing. But, you know, at the end of the day, this was still a defensive-dominated team and then proved a little bit mortal. And now you've got to replace Devin Bush or Sean Gary and Chase Winovich. So... You know, unless the offense is considerably better, um, I think 9-3 and is
1: probably about right. Well, if I'm putting on my Teddy Mutrosile's hat, that's Stu calling Michigan a dumpster fire this offseason. So, uh, we will move on to the next. That's going to be great
0: for the seven people that get that reference. I
1: know, I'm sorry. Uh, Mississippi State at 8.
0: Yeah, I'd say under. uh, I think that that was kind of a perfect storm kind of team last year with that defensive line. And I don't think
1: they... Perfect Storm. They only won eight games last year.
0: Well, yeah. It was a Perfect Storm kind of team, and they wasted that opportunity. So if they only won eight with that group, it seems like this year they might take a step back.
1: Yeah, I I think you're okay. I think you're okay saying that, I think. Notre Uh, Dame, nine and a half. What do you got? I like Notre Dame on the over on that one. I don't think they're an 11-win team, but I think they can get to 10, 10 wins. I know they lose some good players on defense, but the edge rushers are good. They do have to go to, to Georgia and Michigan. But after that, I didn't look at it and go, even if they lose those two, I didn't think there was any, anybody else that really scared them. And I think Brian Kelly's teams usually do pretty well unless they're like out talented. You know, it's like USC, Virginia Tech seems to be seems to be in a tailspin. You know, Stanford's OK, but I don't know if they have enough around KJ Costello. So I'm taking the over. Am I right?
0: I am taking the over as well, and I would also just remind you that we're trying to do rapid fire uh, <laughs> in this part of the podcast. Uh, um, Ohio State, over under 10, I'll take the over.
1: I will take the over as well.
0: Oklahoma, ten and a half.
1: How much you believing in, in Jalen Hurts, too?
0: Yeah, I'm believing in him, but I think the reason I would probably go over is that I think Alex Grinch will have a noticeable effect on that defense.
1: I like that rationale. You know, they do have to replace 4-0 linemen. They have a grad transfer coming in. But I'm with you. I like Alex Grinch. I think he will make a difference there. So
0: Now, if we take a step back, the chances that Oklahoma wins 11, Ohio State wins 11, and Notre Dame wins 10, and in your according to you, Alabama and Clemson both win 12, you're basically saying that this season is going to be exactly the same as last season. So we're probably dead wrong in at least one of those. But you're saying I'm probably dead wrong. Uh, no, I— <laughs> I know my history of predictions. I'm sure I'm dead wrong. Okay,
1: oh, Oregon Ducks, got, uh, nine and a half. I'm going to say under if I had to go. I think that's about right. But if you look at what Oregon did last year, they struggled on the road, and I think their offensive line's good. But I think they those issues could carry over because the road schedule is actually harder this year than it was last year. And they've got that Auburn opener.
0: So even if you think they might do darn well in the Pac-12, yeah, I'd go under to nine.
1: I think a nine and three season for me so it makes sense.
0: Penn State eight and
1: a half. No trace McSorley. I steered away from this, but I could see eight and four from them.
0: I feel like it's hard to cut, to say uh, pass when there's a half involved, right? Either they're going to win yes, more than that. Yes, it's impossible or less. to say. It. Uh, I'm going to say over nine.
1: Really? Yeah. You're saying
0: okay? Texas. Wait, wait wait. Would just, just, wait, wait. I just. I just wait. If you don't think they're going to win nine, then. I question you continuing to have James Franklin ranked as, like, the fifth-highest coach oh, in the country. Oh, Jesus
1: Christ. Are you really going there with this again?
0: Well, if he's the fifth-best coach in the country, he should be able to survive losing Trace McSorley. I said I thought they might be 8-4. and four. Well, I don't think he'll still be fifth on your list next year if they go 8-4. and four. Okay. Well, we'll have to revisit that
1: 12 months from now. At the rate, you're, you're trying to speed this up, and then all of a sudden you're bringing in old columns, too. So tell me what you think of Texas. nine 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 and a half. You like it?
0: No, that's an under. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that Texas probably uh, won't be, you know, a lot, a lot went right for them last year, and uh, they
1: could have a better team this year and not go 9-3 and three again. So Stu, on the cusp of Vizda Austin, is calling Tom Herman's team much overhyped.
0: Plus I had all those sung all those praises <laughs> for A&M before. I, mean, I need to still hold this. <laughs> I am going to both those schools next week, so please still open your doors, Texas and Texas A&M. And speaking of A&M, over under seven and a half. So this is the one I wrote about in the mailbag. This one is the only one of this whole list that that just jumped out at me as like, wow, they are daring you to pick Texas A&M.
1: So you would would take the over on this. You think they're going to win nine games?
0: Well, I think they can win eight, which would win me the bet. But I do see why. I mean, well, first of all, what do you think?
1: I didn't want to touch this, and here's why. They have to play Alabama. I don't care where they play them. I think that's a loss. they got to go to LSU and Georgia back-to-back weeks. I think those are two other losses. So right now, that means they don't stumble any other place. And there's some other games that are like, I don't think they're toss-up games, but, you know, South Carolina's not a bad team. Mississippi State still have athletes. And they got Auburn. So know. I don't. I could see them winning eight games and winning all those other games, but I just don't know if they will.
0: I think that Auburn game will pro- at home will probably swing their season because nobody's expecting them to win at Clemson. If they can pull off an Alabama upset, that would be fantastic for them. But of those four, at LSU, at Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson, I think it's going to be considered a bonus if they just win one of the four. So to, for it to be a successful season, they got to win the other eight and Auburn... Is the most challenging it would seem of those, but I will be the sucker who takes the over. Uh, TCU, any strong feelings? At I mean, just just one
1: just one other thought on that one, which is why I think it's it's a tough spot for them. They have that Georgia LSU double, and they're yeah. both on the road. That's right. And they're going to play in a very physical Georgia team, whereas LSU is going to be home to Arkansas, who stinks. They may not stink as bad. And then they're home again for, for A&M. So I just think that's a tough spot for them to play. So you're taking that's the why under. I don't, No, I'm not taking the under. You've got to go 7-5. I might. I might. I, would least, I think they have a better chance of going 7-5 and five than nine and then winning 8, I guess. Then you are taking the under. Uh, I
0: want that on TCU, record.
1: Oh, okay.
0: TCU. Okay. Because he told me when there's a half, a half, you can't just cop out.
1: No, you're right. Yeah. You're right.
0: TCU 7 and a half, I, uh, I'll say over just because of faith in Gary Patterson.
1: That burned you last year in our in our season predictions. Burned me a couple
0: times, but he'll have a bounce back.
1: Yeah, I want to lean towards the over on this too. So I'm with you. I mean, I look at this; they got to go to both Oklahoma schools. They got to go to Iowa State, which won't be easy, and they got to go to Purdue out of the gate or in the week two. I'm going to lean towards the over though. I think they can get eight wins.
0: Okay, the all important USC eight and a half.
1: I'm going under. Are you with me?
0: Unless there's some way to bribe the opposing coaches, the way you can bribe USC administrators, uh, no, you really went a long way to get that one <laughs> in, didn't you? I just wanted to get the word bribe in there somewhere. Yeah, under I think uh, I do think they'll be better, uh, certainly than last year's five and seven season, and, and I do have a lot. That's of not saying for, anything. Yeah, and I think we both have a lot of respect for Graham Harrell. I just think that the every time Clay, you know, the first time Clay Helton loses a game. People are gonna want to fire him the second time. They're gonna want, you know, it's just it's gonna be hard to sustain momentum with all the noise that'll be around that program next year.
1: Their first six games, where it's gonna be the big benchmark. They don't play a bad team in the first six. They got they got Fresno out of the opener. Then they play Stanford, who 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 whipped them last year at BYU. Then they play Utah, who's always gonna be more physical. And then at Washington and at Notre Dame, I'm not seeing anything better than three and three there. So I I think there's an under. Washington, 10. Big number. Pass. Mm, okay, that's a that's a cop-out. But um, if you had to pick one over-under, you're leaning towards under, I think, right?
0: No, I think if I had to pick one... I mean, look, we took the under on Oregon. I don't think either of us think Stanford is going to be a 10-11 win team next year. So somebody's got to rise up and win that division. Well, let's put it this way. Right, right below that is Washington State, 8.5. So... I think I I have more faith in Washington over 10 than I do Washington State over 8.5. Well,
1: I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I have the under on Washington. Lose Minshew, I thought, was a huge factor for them. Lose Andre Dillard. Lose Peyton Peler in the middle of the defense. And, and here's the problem I have with their, their schedule. They could lose to Dana's Houston team. I mean, the last time, I think, Dana Holgerson faced his mentor. Was when he was when he was at Houston as the OC and they got Leach's Texas Tech team. Actually, that might not be right because he might have played him when he was at Oklahoma State too. So maybe I'm speaking out of school, but let's just run it anyway. And if I look like an idiot, so be it. And then they're gonna they're gonna play an improved UCLA team before going to Utah. They have trips to Oregon and Washington. Those are the two most talented teams, I think in the in the Pac-12 certainly in the North. And Washington has crushed uh, Leach's team every time they played them, and they also have to visit Cal. And if you look at what Justin Wilcox's defense done the last two times against Washington State, they're averaging less than ten points against the Bears. So I think this is the year where they will struggle. Of course, I said that last year, and then Gardner Minshew showed up.
0: I kind of feel like it will not be. Um, I feel like almost you are obligated to be the sideline reporter for the Dana Holgerson versus Mike Leach game, but it's in Houston, so I'm taking. I'm guessing it's not a Pac-12. It's not a Fox game. Which
1: is too bad. Yeah, well, I don't think no,
0: so. Yeah, you should, when Mike Leach faces Dana Holgerson, uh, you should be the sideline for it, let's be honest.
1: Well, you see if I you can negotiate. Since we gave uh, ESPN some plugs for their team schedules, of course, I think we took a shot at them for their for Their, their uh, brackets. bracket thing, yeah. Well, <laughs> bracket. They, they roof, own that. So. Give them
0: credit, they owned that. So I
1: don't, I don't know if I could get in on well, that. Well, guess what? So. You're in luck,
0: because the next year, Houston plays in Pullman, and that's got Fox... Three thirty Pacific kick, written all over it. Okay. Well, if you, uh, if you, if you've uh, don't, put don't it let Gus and paper. Joel take that one away from you, Jenny Taft. <laughs> I'm sure there's a great game she can do that week. That's yours. Last okay. one was. This was seems pretty easy to me. Wisconsin eight and a half.
1: You're gonna take the over, right?
0: Yeah. Even though we both dissed Paul Chris last week. Come on, they're gonna have a bounce back season.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right about
0: that. I do I do um, regret that. I, I do wish I had had Paul Christ in my list.
1: All right, so let the record show both of us regret not having Paul Christ and Kirk Ferentz in there. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, I can think of one coach I would take off. I don't have two spots, though. So to wrap this all up on the win totals, you know, I think that if you hold us to these there's no question we're going to be exposed as morons because we basically just went down the list and said the teams that were good last year will be good again. And the teams that were not great next last year will not be great again, except for where we really like the coach, like Paul Christ. And then we say the that's
1: not true. Cause I'm, I mean, we're doing an under on, on Washington, on Washington state. There was a few unders in there.
0: Yeah. And well, UCF the, the good was thing an is under. You and I, it would have been a really boring. segment. What may have been a boring segment anyway, but it definitely would have been a boring segment. If you and I agreed on everything, we definitely did not.
1: Yeah, I, well, I agree. At least we were, we're some variants there. By the way, to, to follow up on what I said, Dana Holgerson was not the OC at, in Oklahoma State. At the time, Mike Leach was still in Lubbock. So to the best of my recollection, the only time they have faced Dana Holgerson's team won 29-28. to 28. How about that?
0: Well, again, I hope you find your way to that game. But I have a feeling it's going to be Molly McGrath or somebody from
1: Allison. Yeah. Well, you know what? USPN. How about how about when Max Olson writes the five thousand word oral history on that old two thousand nine?
0: Don't get us. Don't give us any ideas.
1: You know, right now, if Jake Trotter's listening, he's getting his Rolodex out.
0: Okay, getting things back on track. You can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail com. Enjoy Thursday, Bruce. I know we're football. We're football airs. It's a football podcast, but I do have to say. My favorite sports day of the whole year is Thursday, the first Thursday of the NCAA tournament.
1: Okay. Not for me, but I like it, too. So.
0: Which, there, There isn't, like, a, a singular day in college football. What, What is what is it? If it's not that, what is it?
1: I love the first weekend of the college football season. I so, mean, it's just,
0: just the first, so I, I there's the so first much, Saturday, if you had to be specific. Yeah,
1: there's just, well, it's the first weekend. I mean, but, like, yeah, just because there's so much anticipation. We talk about the season for so long you know, we don't talk about the, I mean, I get why people love it. And I mean, I mean, there was a couple of years ago I spent, I must have had three nils at the same bar because in LA you can start at 9am. But it's still, to me, it's like, I don't know, I'm just more, way more emotionally attached to, to college football than I am college hoops. And I get why other people, I even kind of get why you say it, even though you make your living doing that.
0: Well, I uh, was way, so I yeah. was into college basketball, growing up in Cincinnati, I was in college basketball way earlier than I was into college football. So, you know, I've been filling out brackets since I was probably eight or nine years old. So, yeah, the first Thursday, and you're right, it's, it starts 9 a.m. here. Um, it's great. But my second through 16th favorite days are the Saturday, each Saturday of the college football regular season. So. Or maybe New Year's Day.
1: Throw that in there. Good so. save, Stu. Good save.
0: All right, we'll see you guys next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. Thanks to Trader Joe's for being our presenting sponsor. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu at SL Mandel on Twitter, and Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB, and subscribe to The Athletic. If you haven't done so already, you can try it for free. Seven-day free trial at theathletic.com slash free trial.
1: So come on, get over here,
0: ah, yeah, oh, we'll talk about it for